So just to review quickly through chapter 6. So we saw in previous chapters that redemption was not by works, not by the deeds of man. Nothing man could do for that. That was accomplished through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And justification comes by faith and by faith alone. No works are needed. No help from me is necessary. No maintenance on my part is done. That is secure in and only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man is justified and right with God because of what Christ has done. Man can come and pray to God, not because he's been good, but because of the work that Christ has done. We can lay down on our head at night and we can rest at peace knowing our salvation is secure because it's anchored in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So uh, that's not by works, but by the work of the Lord Jesus. And in chapter 6, we saw that it's not possible for somebody that's justified in Christ Jesus to go on in a life of sin as they always had because there's been a change in ownership in that life. God has now resurrected them, not only done away with their sins in the death of the Lord Jesus, but as He raised Christ up from the grave in victory, so He also resurrects those that He justifies. And we'll see that uh, on in chapter 8, chapter 9, as we get farther in. But there is a resurrected life in those that are saved, such that they can't continue on because they've been resurrected. The power of God dwells within them. They are made new creatures by the operation of God in their heart. Can't be helped. Can't be prevented. It's not, well, I'm doing better as life goes on. This is a work of God in the heart of the believer so that if they're saved, they will be made a new creature. Just as much as God justifying them has nothing to do with anything that they've done the operation of God in changing the life. God don't need my help in changing me either. God changes me. But that left us with the battle and the struggle. There's still the warfare that's going on. Not that my salvation is imperfect and I'm trying to perfect my salvation, but that there's a perfect man on the inside made and born by the work of God and there is a wretched, rebellious and sinful man on the outside. There's now two of us in those that are saved, and those two are continually at war. And the outward man, he wants his will. He wants to be pleased. He would like for me to yield myself to please him and his will. The inward man is contrary to that. They are exact, perfect opposites. His desire is to please God. And His desire is for me to yield myself to Him. So we're left there, the saved, the born again, are left in that struggle. And which will we yield our members to? So He concludes that chapter. Being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's compared here in the latter part of this chapter the life of sin 
and the life of servitude to God. Because the devil, the devil, the liar, and the father of lying, lying came from and began with Satan. So no surprise, he continues to lie and to deceive hearts today. But the Word of God here says, now look back before you were saved at the life you had serving the flesh. What profit and what gain did you have from that lifestyle? I mean, then you did what you wanted. You did what you desired. You got what you desired. Where did that leave you? It left us in one place, dead. We found ourselves at God's feet, guilty, ashamed, and with nothing to offer Him. So why then would we desire to continue to serve that lifestyle knowing that we've served that in the past and it's brought no profit or gain? Solomon, I believe Solomon served that lifestyle to the extent that no man has ever served that lifestyle before. And at the end of his days, he could write down that everything is vanity. Money and houses and land and goods and women and uh, high lifestyle, food and drink. It was all vanity in the end and it left you with nothing. The wages of sin is death. That's all that sin will ever produce. But the gift of God that freely given by God, that redemption in Jesus Christ, that produces eternal life. So in chapter 7, we're going to kind of look at a picture first, and then in the latter part, we're really going to focus on that struggle with sin and rebellion that's in the life of those that are saved, including in the Apostle Paul. But in chapter 7, let's read maybe the first few verses. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So he's going to take the law of Moses, and this is from the law of Moses, and he's going to give us a picture that we can see, that we all understand, and we're going to see salvation in the picture of it in it. So here is a woman, and by the law, that marriage vow is for life. So as, as long as they're alive, they're bound by that law. But you know that law don't go beyond death. And that when I die, Morgan's free from the vow of marriage to me. There is no longer a vow there. But that natural death separates from that vow that was made. As long as I'm alive, we're bound by that vow, by the law of Moses. We're bound together by that. But when one dies, that vow is separated. That vow no longer has any power over the other that's left alive. So in Job chapter 3, 
verse 19. Here he's going to talk about a servant and death. So in death, the small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. And you know, you could look at, at all things here, but in death, everything of this life is gone. Death is, to every extent, the end of this life. Maybe that sounds elementary, but it's deeper than just, I'm not going to live anymore. It's the end of this life. This present world, its relationships, those vows of marriage. I mean, when I die, if Morgan's free from the vow, she's no longer bound to me, and she's free to marry again, then why say, well, I'm going to die and we're going to be go see him up in heaven? That vow ended at death. And everything ends at death in this world. My relationships, my relationship to my children, all of that's over with. This life comes to an end, and in death, the small, the great, the rich, and the poor, the mighty, and the weak, the servant and the master, they're all freed from what they had here. All of the reputation is gone. Though I might be remembered by some of you, for me, for my part, I'm dead. That's forgotten. That's gone. That's severed. That'll never be again. And when you die... It'll be over for you as well. And as time goes on, our memory will be forgotten and we'll be like a multitude in the graveyard. There'll be a headstone and there'll be a date and somebody will come by and read it and say, I wonder who that was. So that this life, this life is very temporary and quickly ending. And the, the picture we've got here is the law binds us as long as we're alive. But when one dies, when I die, we're freed from that law of marriage. I feel like we understand that. I feel like we understand that very well. So in verse 4, there's the picture, and here's the application. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another even to him that is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So who's dead? We are become dead to the law. Did I die to the law though? I've not died. I've not died naturally. And I've not died in the sense spiritually and went to hell either. But Christ died. We are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So that our death then to the law, our obligation, and there it is, it's not like I'm married to the law, but I was bound to the law because of my guilt and my sin. I was bound to the law to die. I was sentenced to die by my guilt and my transgression of the law. And not just die naturally either. That does not satisfy the law of God. 
A man might murder somebody and to satisfy the law of the United States, he may receive the death penalty and die. And when he's dead, the law of the U.S. has been satisfied. But that death does not satisfy the law of God. The death in the Scripture is a spiritual death of the eternal part of man that is in the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever. Now there's where I was bound to the law. I had sinned and I had transgressed the law of God and I was bound to the law to die. Now how can you get out of that? In order for that to be fulfilled, I'm going to have to die and go to hell and be there for eternity. That's the only way that I could meet my obligation to the law. I've made vows of marriage. There's the picture. I've made vows of marriage. I'm to, uh, uh, to honor that as long as me and her is alive. That's the requirement of the law. So that the law of God, because I've transgressed, because I've sinned against the law of God, I'm held by the law guilty and I'm awaiting my punishment my death penalty in hell. So in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So see, this was substitutionary. I was bound by the law to die. I was guilty. The law required, the law demanded my death. But the Lord Jesus was made, now He was God, but He was made to be lower than the angels. You know the angels of God, they don't die. They don't suffer. They don't endure pain and torment. But the Lord was made a step lower than them. He was made less than the angels. He was put into a body. And you know why that was? So that He could suffer. So that He could endure pain. So that His blood could be taken from Him. So that He could be nailed to a cross. And so that He could die and taste death for every one of us. He was crucified as a substitute to our life so that I'm bound to the law that I have to die. Well, the Lord has came and fulfilled my obligation to the law. That's what he's saying about the marriage in Romans. That when I die, Morgan's obligation to my marriage, to our marriage, is fulfilled. The marriage has been completed. I'm now dead and tomorrow... She could marry again, not be guilty of the law. Her obligation is fulfilled. Well, in Christ Jesus, those that have come to Him by faith and been justified, their obligation to the law has been fulfilled. Were they guilty? Yes, they were guilty. Did the law demand their death? The law did demand their death, and justly so. It wouldn't have been injustice if I died 
and been cast into hell. That's what I deserved. But in Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, He came for one purpose, to be our substitute in death. And He was crucified to fulfill our debt and our obligation to the law. So that now, those that are born again, they don't have to die. Not naturally. We're all going to die naturally. We're talking about the spiritual death in hell. Our obligation to the law has been fulfilled in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, now, dead to the law by the body of Christ, His death substituted for our death. His payment was sufficient to pay our debt to the law of God. You're become dead to the law by the body of Christ. We are no longer obligated to the law of God for righteousness. We do not have to keep the law for righteousness. We do not have to honor the law of Moses in order to be justified with God. But those that are saved are dead to the law. Their obligation to its ceremonies, to its ordinances, to its laws for righteousness are done away and they are righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been substituted for them. They are dead to the law that ye should be married to another. So again, just as in chapter 6, it's not that now He's resurrected us, He's justified us and made us righteous, and now we're free to mar ourselves in sin with no worry of judgment. Now we're free to do as we please and not have to worry about our obligation to the law. No, our obligation to the law is over. We are become dead to the law, but we're now married to another. Our obligation to the law is gone, but now we're obligated to another. The Lord Jesus Christ. That ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So in Him, our debt to the law was paid. We are uh, uh, obligation. He substituted for us and made that payment. And in chapter 6, He says, just as we died with Him and were buried with Him, so shall we be resurrected with Him. That's a picture of a new life in this world. Well, here is another picture. He's died. Our obligation to the law is paid. We're no longer under the law for righteousness. But now we're obligated unto another, even our Savior, who was substituted for our sins. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe we can see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And that He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So how were we living? A lot of scripture we could look at. I believe Ephesians 2 is sufficient. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were following the spirit that worketh 
now in the children of disobedience. We lived in diverse lusts. We did as we pleased. Well, now wait a minute. I wasn't as sinful as others. I tried to please God. But you know this though. No matter how you lived, if you were a a drug addict, a drunkard, or if you were a good moral person in your eyes, when you were living for yourself, you had broken and broken your part of the law of God. We were guilty before God and in need of redemption, in need of a substitute to pay our debt to the law. Well, here, He died for all. There's the substitution. Christ has died to be our substitute to pay our obligation to the law. And we're now dead to the law. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. So there is a work of God that produces a new creature. Christ died not that people could be saved from judgment and live in sin, but Christ died for all that they which live, those which are resurrected, those which are in Christ for justification, should not henceforth. Henceforth, that's a good word. It means from this point forward. From this place forward. So if I said from henceforth, I'm not going to do this, that means I might have done it five minutes ago, but from this place forward, I'm not going to do that any longer. Does this mean that we don't sin? Absolutely not. We're going to see that. But I'll tell you what it does mean. It means that in them that are saved, the power of God within them desires not to sin from the time that they come here forward. That there is a power of God, the the Holy Ghost of God, one just like Jesus, that dwells in them that are saved, that condemns them when they transgress what they know to be right, that leads them to do the right thing and be followers of God in this life. We're not obligated to the law. Law didn't do nothing for me. I was foolish and ignorant. But I wasn't afraid of the law. I wasn't afraid of breaking it. I wasn't worried about a judgment. That never crossed my mind. I mean, even here, there there would be times you shouldn't do that. Well, that didn't bother me a bit. I knew I shouldn't. I knew people wouldn't like it if they knew. But I went right on and did it anyway. Now that's what the law did for me. But now I was going to die because of that. I was going to die because of that. But in Jesus Christ, it's different than the law. In Jesus Christ, there is made, as He says in verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now inwardly, because of the operation of God, there's a desire to please God. Listen to what He says. You're become dead to the law that you should be married to another, that we should, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So we're now married and obligated to Christ. Our desire before 
was to please ourselves. Now we're married to Christ and because God's changed us, we've got now an inward desire to please the one that saved us. So that in them that are saved, though there's errors, though there's sins, though there's mistakes, yet inwardly in them that are saved, there is a desire to please the husband. They cannot go onward in sin. They cannot continue serving the flesh because they are now married to the Son of God who saved them. Well, I don't want to be married and obligated to Him. Well, then you're going to be obligated to the law and you're going to have to pay your part of the law. You're going to die. You're going to stand before God. You're going to be guilty you're going to be cast into hell. That's not me judging you. The Bible tells me that. That those that are not in Christ Jesus will be cast into the lake of fire. The small and the great, the rich and the poor, the good and the bad. Outside of Christ, that's where man's going. He's obligated to the law. So, in in Romans again, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members. So there we are. We're in the flesh. We're serving the flesh. We're obligated to the law. And yet, our desire was to do nothing that the law said. And if there was a desire to do the law it was that we might boast and exalt ourselves, which is contrary to what the law said. Everything was contrary to what the law of God said. But you know Christ Himself. Let's look at a place or two. In John chapter 8, I guess this is familiar. John chapter 8, verse number 4. So here's the woman that was taken in adultery in the very act of it. So she must have been with a man that was at that time married and they caught her in the act of it. They bring her to the Lord and they say unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, what saith thou? Is that, is that, are they wrong? That is what the law of Moses says. If she is going to be held to her obligation to the law, what's she going to receive? She's going to be stoned. So if you're going to be held, to your obligation to the law, what are you going to receive? Is there any hope? She's got no hope in the law here. She's guilty. She's caught. They caught her, and it wouldn't well that day wasn't nothing going on. They caught her in the very act. So, what's going to happen? She's going to die by the law. But you know what? Now... They had this woman. They're going to stone her. The Lord's going to teach an important lesson here. And He says, Let him 
who's without sin, cast the first stone. So what's he saying? Well, he's saying you shouldn't judge. Okay. We'll we'll go with that for a, a minute. But this is what he's saying. Yep, she deserves by the law to be stoned. But what do you deserve? We all are going to be destroyed outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of redemption and outside of salvation, all are going to perish. Now that don't give those in sin currently reason to gloat because they are going to be cut down. But it don't give us reason to gloat either because outside of Christ we deserve the same thing. You know what's important? Boy, you boil it down in the Scripture over and over and over again. You know the one thing that's important is that we're in Christ Jesus, saved and born again, and justified by His power. That's the work of redemption. She was obligated to the law. She had to die. In Hebrews 2 and 2, Now this is what the law says. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression, that word means a violation, every violation and disobedience, inattention, or willful neglect. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So if the law says that every sin, that every error, that every slip, that every willful breaking of the law must receive a just recompense of reward, then where does that leave us? Guilty, sinful, and as the word mortal implies, liable to die. But not just die in the grave, but die in hell. No hope by the law. The law held us with no hope, no place of escape. But you know, Christ Christ was not under any obligation by the law to die for us. Listen, listen to just a few places. In Romans 5, I know we've already looked here. Romans 5, verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God... Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Trinity, however you want to chop it up, they had no obligation to produce me a way of salvation. Christ was not obligated by any law that He would have to die for me. You know why the plan of redemption was in place? Because God loved and God put His love on display in Christ Jesus. 
It was His love for our souls that brought about a means and a sacrifice for our iniquity. God could have been like me and you. And God could have said, they've done me wrong. I don't want to have anything to do with them any longer. These people that no doubt we've done that with. We've cut off dealings. We've cut off conversation with folks because of the way they've done us. You know what that is? Well, there's, there's no love there. There's not. You're young and can do you wrong. You cut them off like that. There's love there for the young and. There's love there. It's different, ain't it? Well, here's God. God could have been like us with no obligation to us, could have cut us off and let the law had its rule over us. But God, who loved, desired redemption. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did God give His Son? Because of His love for mankind, and specifically for the elect of God. But God's love for man, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So the cross was not fun. And maybe that sounds silly, but there's folks that believe that. That he was God and he could endure that and not have to suffer. But the Bible says he endured the cross. He stayed under the load of that, despising the shame, the mocking, the pain, and the suffering. Why did he endure all of this? He could have come out from under it, couldn't he? He was not under obligation to me and you to die. But for one reason he endured that. For the joy that was set before him. And in Isaiah 53, I believe we can see that. The Bible says he shall see his seed. You know what he saw? You know the joy before him were those that was going to be redeemed by the work that he was doing. He loved them and he gave himself for them that they could be saved and because of that love he endured the cross. No obligation but compassion and love for mankind. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. He showed His love for us when we had no care for Him whatsoever. Had He not done His work, we would have never loved Him. But we love Him today because of His love 
that was shown towards us. So having broken the law, being obligated to die, held under the sentence of the law, Christ Jesus substituted His life for ours. Jesus went to the cross and died in my place, in your place, and in the place of the whole world. His death sufficient to substitute for the life of all of mankind. All of them. Everyone, individually, all of their transgressions, His perfect life enduring the cross and suffering death was enough to pay for the sins of the world. And astounding. When you think about what His death was sufficient to pay, it's astounding. So His death freed us from our obligation to the law. No longer am I seeking righteousness by the law. No longer am I guilty by the law. It's been paid. My debt to the law is paid. I have perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. By substitution and by the transaction of God. Now, it's either that or what I have is imperfect and I've got to improve it. That is not what the Bible says. He was our substitute. I am dead to the law and married now to the Lord Jesus Christ. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So the motions, something undergone, hardship, emotion, influence, or pain. That's what that word means. The motions of sins. When we were. So when was this? Well, he's looking backwards in time to a place that these folks were not saved and married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Back when they were under the law, before redemption, they were under the influence of sin. Sin influenced them, guided them, and worked in their members for one purpose, to produce fruit that made us to die. Remember the wages of sin is death, and so sin worked in us to bring us to a place of death and guilt before God. That's Satan's working. That's Satan's desire. If God's desire is to save, Satan's desire is to destroy. If God's desire is that we would live, Satan's desire is that we would die. Remember, they're perfectly contrary one to the other. And so Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in them that are lost, that spirit was working in us for one purpose, that we would die guilty and be cast into hell. That's where sin wants to take our people today. 
Sin's not concerned about the bank account. It's not concerned about how the family's doing. It's not concerned about the marriage. Sin's concerned with one thing. And trust me, sin can destroy all of that as well. But there's one desire that Satan has, and it's that I would die lost, deceived, and die eternally in hell. God's desire is to save from that. That's why Christ was given. When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law. How did sin work? We won't get there today. We're going to see it here in just a little while. Sin used the law, didn't it? Without the law, there is no transgression. So what did Satan use when he attacked Eve in the garden? They had one commandment. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge. You know what he took? Satan took the law and wrought in her a desire to break it. Now that's natural in the flesh. We've all got that rebellion in us. Some it may manifest itself more than others, but that desire to rebel is in us all. Satan took the law. He took the commandment. He twisted it up and made her desire what God commanded against. Now is that not where mankind is today? We've got the law. It's twisted in people's thinking and in their minds. And they desire today what is absolutely contrary to what God says. Why? That they would die lost and go to hell. That's that's the truth. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That that's born of Adam, they're all here in this one place serving the motions of sins. And you know something? Nothing's ever going to change that. We're not going to have a youngin' one day, and you're not going to have a youngin' one day or a grand youngin'. That's not going to be found there. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Jesus was talking about a birth the inward man, a new birth there. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, I believe we can see it, and we've already referenced this, but we're going to read this one verse here. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... That word means growth. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know that baby, when it's newborn, when they're little, that's the sweetest thing in all of the world. There's nothing like a little newborn baby. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to grow. And you know what they're going to be by nature? Servants of sin. Servants of the flesh. Rebellers towards God. 
and in need of a Savior. Don't have to be taught it. Don't have to have somebody lead you that way. Don't have to have parents that are, that are wicked sinners. But by nature, as we grow, that's what we become. That's who we are. It's who we are. You hear today, I mean, everything's blamed on somebody else today. But oh, so and so, they ruined my young'un's life. If this hadn't happened, my young'un wouldn't have lost it. No, that's, that's who we are. We are all that way. Servants of sin, servants of the flesh, and we're all rebellious towards God. So, it, back in Romans now, to bring forth fruit unto death, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held. So now remember, we didn't have to die to fulfill our obligation to the law. In order to do that, we would have had to went to hell and been there eternally. That is the obligation to the law. But the Lord died and fulfilled our obligation to the law. And now God, when He looks on us, He considers us dead. Our obligation is fulfilled to the law. I I wish that I could tell you that as grand of a thought as that is. We are delivered from the law. God has put us in Christ Jesus, taken our sins off of us, and our obligation and debt to the law fully paid. I'm not running up a side tab today. We're not going to have to pay for it before we die. And I'm not going to have to get saved again before I die. But my obligation is fulfilled. Either it is or it isn't. And by this, we are now delivered from the law. But what you do tomorrow, that ain't what this says. I'm delivered now. And I'll be delivered tomorrow And if when I'm 90 years old, I pick up this book and I read that verse, you know what it's going to say? That I'm now delivered. Christ has produced a perfect and a complete salvation. Now delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held. So delivered to be, render, entirely idle. The law has been rendered entirely idle, useless towards them that are saved. Now that's, that's good in two ways now. The law, what does the law say about me? It says exactly what those folks said about that woman in John chapter 8. Guilty needs to die. In Christ, we're dead. The debt's paid. That commandment, that guilt, that judgment towards us is done away with in Jesus. But as well now, the law says you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you can't say this and you can't say that. You can't think this and you can't think that or you're going to be guilty again. 
Have you kept it this week? No, we've not kept it. But you know, I don't have to worry about whether I'm righteous and right with God by the law or not because we're right with God in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So, delivered from the law wherein we were hailed, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. So newness, renewal or regeneration. That's what that word means if you look it up. So that God has brought us dead from the law, our obligation to the law paid by the death of Jesus Christ. And now we're obligated to the Savior, the one that delivered us. And again, just to stress it, justification has nothing to do with the law of God. In Galatians 3, verse 25, after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So once faith comes, once salvation has come, the obligation to the schoolmaster is done away with. You know why there was a schoolmaster? To bring me to this place. You know why we've got school? Not so that I've got to go to school all my life, but that we reach a place that we've got a knowledge that we can graduate and go out and live. Well, the, the schoolmaster, the law of God, it was not meant for me to seek righteousness from it for my whole life. Meant for one reason, to condemn me and to lead me to the Lord Jesus Christ. But once I come to Christ, I don't need to be led to Him any longer. We're in Him. We're saved. The obligation is paid and done away with. But now, in Galatians 2, Galatians 2, verse 19, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So that's exactly what we've covered in the first part of chapter 7. The Lord Jesus gave Himself for sinners, substituting His death, His suffering, for their obligation and death that they owed the law because of their sin and transgression. He paid the debt and the shortcomings that we had made that we could be righteous in God's eyes. But not to leave us there, we've been resurrected in newness of life. My obligation to the law is paid in Jesus Christ. But now those that are saved, they're now obligated to the Savior. They are inwardly born again and new creatures by the operation of God. And inwardly, they have one desire, to please the one that saved them. He says to Timothy, he's using the picture there of a soldier. Timothy, fight the fight, be a good soldier, that you might please the one that called you. Over and over again, it's the same thing. Those that are saved, they now have an inward desire by the work of God to be pleasing to the one that called them, to the one that saved them, 
to the one that justified them. So he says one more place and we'll stop. Philippians chapter 3. Verse number 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says we're the people that's not trusting in what we've done this past week as to how we're going to worship God today. But we're trusting in the, the work, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for our righteousness, period. And the life that's now lived, he said in Galatians, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He is now walking and led about by the faith, the trust, the belief in the Word of God that God delivered to him. His life is now lived not by the flesh and by the motions and desires of the flesh, but he's now led by the Spirit of God that dwells within him. And as is Paul the Apostle, the pattern for all those that would come after, so are we. Those that are saved and in Christ Jesus, they're now obligated inwardly. And in, inwardly they love the Lord Jesus and they desire to please Him. Serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of letter. So you know how God served today. Now, a lot of people, they get offended when you talk like this. But this is the truth. I, should I lie? I should not lie. But I'm not serving God by not telling a lie. That's doing what I ought to do. But that's not serving God. Being a, a good fella day by day, that's what I ought to try to be. But that does not, I'm not serving God when I'm doing that. God is served today in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. If I'm going to say, well, I'm not going to lie today, I'm going to work hard today, I'm going to be a good, a good dad today, and I'm going to worship God by doing that, I'm trying to go back under the old covenant, under the old law. God served in spirit and in truth today. That's what He told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And if there's any service going to be done, any worship, any honor towards God, it's going to be done by the moving of the Holy Ghost in the hearts of them that are saved. Singing a song, saying words, reading a verse, anybody on earth can do those things. But to glorify God by the power of the Spirit that worketh within them, only those that are born again can do that. And that's hocus pocus talk to people that aren't born again. They have no idea. That's all that's on our heart. Anything you'd like to say?